In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and beginning in verse 1, it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, and remember that just means that Jesus didn't have teaching on it for us, and so it's coming through the Apostle Paul. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. For if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So as we consider it here this morning, we're going to continue on our on our same subject of marriage and singleness. We looked at our primary principles last week, still thinking of those primary principles, bringing honor and glory to God, knowing your gift and accepting your calling. Then we want to move on to the more narrow questions that they ask within the passage. And the first one has to do with sex within marriage. He says it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And remember where they had just left. The end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 was dealing with sex outside of the bounds of marriage, sexual morality, and talking about how that is an act that's under the condemnation of God. And he's saying, so we're not going there. We're bought with a price. We need to not do that. Our bodies are for the Lord. Our bodies are not for sexual morality. So we need to separate from sin and be devoted to God. But now he says, so what is the alternative from that? He says, it's good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. For that day and age, for him to say this kind of thing was huge. He dealt with it from both sides. He didn't deal with it from just one side. In those days, the wife was really considered more property, but not within the church. And so for the Apostle Paul to say the first part, well, the, the woman's body doesn't belong to herself, it belongs to the man, well, that would have gone over no problem. But to flip the tables and go the other way and say the man's body doesn't belong to himself either, but only to the woman, to put them on that kind of equal footing within that relationship was, was quite the statement. But as he goes down through this passage, we're going to notice several things about what married sex is to be. First of all, married sex is to be exclusive. It says... Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. This is a relationship that is for those two people. 
to enjoy. It, is, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created man and then created woman. And he brought them together and man says, this is bone of my bone, this is flesh of my flesh. When we got to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, why such condemnation on sexual morality? Why is it because of a low view of sex? Actually, it's exactly the opposite. It's because of such a high view of sex. Because intimacy within the marriage relationship is supposed to be reflective of every other part of that marriage relationship. In other words, we're supposed to be one emotionally and we're supposed to be one in uh, volitionally in purpose as we make decisions and things together. And we're supposed to be one socially and one even financially. And one uh, Every different way that you can think of, every aspect of your life, you're supposed to be one. And it's saying don't be involved in this oneness physically unless you are one in all these other things. So you see, it's when we take sexuality outside of the boundaries that God has made for it when we diminish it but God intended it to be so much more than that and the first thing that he says is that it needs to be exclusive look husbands need to have their own wife wives need to have their own husband and this is not an area for anybody else to enter into that is just between you you know Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 it says let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer Remember back when we were in 1 Corinthians 6, um, we looked at Proverbs 5 as it gave such warnings as this parents are warning their child to stay away from these kinds of temptations and these kinds of struggles in their life. Well, Proverbs chapter 5 gives a very positive view of the marriage relationship and the intimacy found within that relationship. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Just think of that idea, the concept of Fresh, cool water and plenty of it. It's refreshing. It's rejuvenating. And that's what he's comparing the intimate relationship within the husband-wife relationship to that. And then he asks the question, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? So if you've got this flowing well with all this great water, should you just pour it out in the streets? No. Recently, Lisa and I, She's never liked the coffee that she made with city water, so she'd always buy gallons of water. And we kept saying, one of these days we're going to put on a reverse osmosis system and see if that works. Well, we finally decided to do that. And we did. So we put in this reverse osmosis system that gives you about three gallons of water that's purified each day. And she loves it. Her, co- her coffee's great. And we hooked it to our ice maker too, so the ice is all purified and everything. And so we drink that purified water and it's awesome. I, I find that I like it even more. And I already drank a lot of water. But you know what I found that surprised me? Is that sometimes before I go to bed or whatever, I'll have a little bit of water left in the glass and I'll go to throw it out and put the cup by the sink. And I don't want to... Can you, should, I, should I just dump it out? <laughs> you know? I, I do. I dump it out. But I admit, I kind of catch partway through. Like, it's, it's good. this is good stuff and we only get three gallons of it a day. I don't know that I should throw it out. Maybe I drink it warm in the morning. I don't know. No, I dump, I dump it out. But... But that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you have within your marriage relationship, you should have this, this flowing well, this run, this awesome, refreshing water supply that illustrates your intimacy with one another. He's saying, you're really, you're just going to pour that out in the streets? He says, let it be for yourselves alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. If you ever get the impression that God does not have a very high view of intimacy within the marriage relationship, the Song of Solomon's all you got to read. 
it's a very explicit book. I don't think I will ever preach my way through the Song of Solomon. It will be embarrassing. But God has built within that marriage relationship this reflection of it, this symbolism of what we participate in, the oneness that we're supposed to be. We get to participate in physically with one another, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, not only is it exclusive, but it is also to be consistent. You know what, if I just have put it kind of plain and simply, God just says, look, married, married person, you guys need to be involved with each other this way, and you need to do it regularly and often. He doesn't give a how often or anything like that. That's going to depend on the people. But don't hold back from one another in this area, he's telling them. In fact, he goes so far as to say, look, wife, your body is not yours, it's his. Husband, your body's not yours, it's hers. This intimacy within the marriage relationship, it, it needs to get to the point where the goal isn't just seeking your own pleasure. That happens. But it's really to provide pleasure and to provide that experience for your spouse. And when you get to where the most pleasing thing to you is to please them, that is when you're on the right track. And notice what it says. It says, look, don't hold back in this area. Not giving Satan the opportunity to tempt us. You know, there are certain areas in life that if you don't keep a handle on these different areas, you're like making an open door for Satan. With our young people, I always encourage and often encourage, look, when you're looking at spending some time Alone with a, with a member of the opposite sex, do it in public. I always tell them, look, you can't get in too much trouble in a restaurant. Be in public in those kind of situations. Why? Because you're not putting yourself in, in a situation that could be very tempting and that you might not be able to overcome. And so protect yourself in that way. Well, you know what? Within the marriage relationship is where we protect one another in this way as well. As we each make sure that our husband or wife is fulfilled, then it, it reduces Satan's ability to get an inroad into our lives. You know, I remember when uh, I was working in Oatana, there was a young guy working with us, and he got married. And a little while after he got married, we were talking about marriage and stuff while we were at work. And he says, you know, he says there's something that's really awesome. He says... Before I got married, when I would have tempting thoughts or, or thoughts that I needed to get rid of or control, he says, that's what it was down to. There really wasn't a, there's not a, a thought that I could have dealing with intimacy this way that wasn't wrong for me to be thinking about. He said, so I had to try to find, make myself think about something else or make myself, he says, you know what? He says, I find it so much easier now that, now that I'm married, if I have a thought come to my head that's wrong, I just, I just think about my wife. And I thank God for my wife. And he says, you know what, that's not wrong. That's an avenue where that passion has expression that is not only okay, but good. Well, within the marriage relationship, we have protection from Satan and his temptations and his ways through a regular intimacy with one another. And then lastly, it says marital sex is fulfilling because each one is supposed to be focused on not just their own fulfillment, the fulfillment of the other person. You know there's an, an appetite, a, a passion for you, and you're constantly trying to fulfill that passion, that appetite that is uh, put there by God. And so the marriage relationship can be very fulfilling and needs to be fulfilling in this way. When you look at abuses to this, when you look at somebody that looks toward uh, adultery or, or sexual immorality, there isn't, there isn't any other place where sexuality is involved that can have the fulfillment that you find within the marriage relationship. It just is not there. Sexuality outside of marriage will make all kinds of promises to you and it will fulfill none of them. 
The only place where you can experience the true, really fulfilling intimacy with one another is with that person that you are completely committed to and that you know so well and that you become to know better through the experience of this oneness together. It's only within that arena where we find that it is guilt-free and it is not only uh, not bad, but good. It's not only created by God, it's commanded by God. Well, what about the idea of abstinence? And I think the reason that maybe he goes on and addresses this is is because, you know, sometimes we get the idea that physical things are are lesser value than spiritual things. Um, But the fact of the matter is there is no such dichotomy in the Bible. The physical things, everything that we do is supposed to have a spiritual aspect. The Bible tells us that how we work has a spiritual aspect because we're supposed to work and do our job as unto the Lord and not unto man. So even our work, no matter what our job is, has a spiritual dimension to it as well. And so every part of our life is supposed to have this spiritual aspect. And so to abstain from intimacy within the marriage relationship is not, he's telling them, it's not a spiritual decision. It's not, it does not make you more spiritual by abstaining from it. In fact, it sets you up for danger, as we already mentioned. But as he addresses the issue of abstinence within marriage, he says that it only, uh, it only should take place in certain conditions. Do not deprive, and it's an emphatic command, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So notice, first of all, if we're going to abstain from this in our married life uh, for a time, that it needs to be, first of all, consensual. It's okay if you guys... Agree together, but you need to you need to come together and discuss this. Notice the whole thing has communication all the way through it. Both parties need to be on board with this. Otherwise, don't do it. But then notice also that it must be brief. In their decision, they're supposed to be specific. How much time is this going to uh, include? And then they're supposed to come together as husband and wife again after that. One example of this in Scripture is back in Exodus chapter 19. God has has told Moses that he's going to come down the mountain and speak to Moses in front of the children of Israel so they can all hear his voice and believe Moses forever. And so he says, I'm going to do that. And he warns them. He says, tell Israel that on such and such a day I'm coming down. So go consecrate yourselves. In other words, cleanse yourselves. Get ready for the appearance of God. One of the things that it involved was everybody was supposed to abstain from sex for three days. And so as they consecrated themselves before God, they abstained for three days and then they came back together as married couples again. When we have times of abstinence, you say, well, why would we have times for abstinence? And that brings us to the last point, and that is that it also must be spiritual. Now, this doesn't rule out, you know, if, if you've got something medical going on and the doctor says or whatever. Now, obviously, those are, you just do what you've got to do. You can practice abstinence for a brief time mutually agreed upon if there's a spiritual value to it. Now, what would be that spiritual value? You know, sometimes people abstain from eating. They fast. They say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to focus on this thing that I'm praying and talking to God about so much that I'm even going to put aside food and I'm just going to focus on this in my relationship with God. If you got like a, a devoted time of prayer, you got something that you as a couple or as a family are going to focus on and just really pray before and kind of storm God's footstool with, and you feel that you could better focus on that if you set aside this part of your relationship for a time while you give yourself to that, then fine, do that. He says, but then after that, 
go right back to your typical level of intimacy. Well, one more question that would have kind of come out of that, but and the question expands from there, is, well, what about, is that true in every case? What if my marriage isn't what it should be? This would contribute to that probably if you're not following these, that this typically kind of makes it worse, not better. What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Well, they don't find any different uh, direction given within the Word of God here. It's to all married people that this is to be part of it. But he does go on from there. He goes from dealing with intimacy within the marriage relationship. He goes into dealing with a believer married to an unbeliever. In verse 10, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. He's talking to two believers that are married here. And he says, look, if you're, if you're married, you don't divorce one another. And if you are divorced, you either need to remain single or go back to your spouse that you left. And you know what? That, that makes total sense within Christianity, right? Christianity is all about forgiveness. It's all about redemption and restoration. If two Christians can't put a marriage back together, we're hurting. We've got, we got Jesus Christ. We've got the Word of God. And we've got the Holy Spirit within us. What can't we tackle? What problem can't we overcome? Now, there is an exception. Jesus gave an exception. He says, except for marital unfaithfulness. If one person within a marriage takes that outside of the marriage relationship, then the other person's free to get a divorce. They have violated that marriage relationship in a serious way. Now, does that mean you have to pursue divorce? No. I think there's been lots of good relationships out there that have overcome that kind of sin in their life, that have built back after that and experienced the grace of God and overcome that. And I, kudos to them. I think that's, that's awesome. That would be a very tough road. And that would be a very hard decision. The Christians then, uh, divorce is not an option. It's a back together, or maybe I should say, and especially divorce and remarriage. He says, look, if you want a married life, you have it. You had it right there. Get back together. Neither side has become unfaithful to the other. That door is still open. And that's one of the things I always counsel people if they've gone through a divorce. Well, is that door still open? Has that person moved on to a different relationship? Well, if they have, then that's adultery. I don't know what you can do about that, but... But it's a kind of a done deal. But then it says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, the children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates... Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether or not you will save your wife? So he deals with this area of a believer married to an unbeliever. And this is a practical question. Because you would have had people getting saved that are already married. And so what if one person comes to Christ and their spouse doesn't? What do you, what do, you do? Because obviously the, the command or the teaching of the church was that if you're going to get married and you're a believer, you need to marry a believer. We find it within this passage, if you look right toward the end of chapter 7, it says in verse 39, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And so he puts a qualifier on there. If your husband dies, you're free to remarry whoever you want, but 
only in the Lord and needs to be a Christian. A couple chapters later in, in chapter 9, the apostle says this in verse 5, says, do we not have the right? He's talking about him and Barnabas. And he's saying, look, don't we have the right to participate in different things uh, like uh, other apostles have? He says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And so the apostle Paul is saying, look, we have the right to take a, a wife. We, we have the right to get married if we want to. Um, but he specifies, he says, to take on a believing wife. And so it's the teaching of the early church that if you're a Christian and you're going to get married, it needs to be to a Christian. Why? So you can be on one the same page. How do you have unity if you're not unified in your beliefs? You know, a lot of times I tell the young people, look, at your age, sometimes it doesn't seem like all that big a deal, but it's going to. It's going to. If a relationship progresses and you get married and you're not on the same page and, and when it comes to how are you going to raise your kids? What are you going to teach them to believe? What are the values going to be in your home? What are you, there are just so many areas where you're, you're like going to be like black and white on some of these issues. Marriage is work to start with. You add that into there is very difficult. And that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle would tell him in that next letter, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And remember, they're living in Corinth where they are literally worshiping other idols and going to temples and bowing down to other gods. And he's like, how are you going to make a home out of this? If you're an unbeliever, you're going to have different kinds of gods today that are going to distract you from the real God as well. And it's going to be very difficult to make that unified home and that unified relationship on a foundation of unevenness. And so he says, don't be unequally yoked together. He quotes then the Old Testament to them. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, you know, what's really interesting to me about this passage is what is said right before it and right after it, because As is often the case, the Apostle Paul is confronting people that are probably making this mistake, right? And he's confronting them. And notice what experience he's having in his confrontation. In chapter 6, in the passage right before, it says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. And then right after this, in chapter 7, verse 2, he says, make room in your hearts for us. You see, what's happening is, as he's telling these people, look, this is, not, this is what God's will is for your life, and they're going the wrong way. He said, I notice something's happening. As I'm confronting you in this, you're, you're closing down. He says, our hearts are wide open to you. Our affection toward you is strong, but we're noticing your heart is closing toward us. And his final appeal in in chapter 7, verse 2 is open, open wide your hearts to us. He's saying, look, I only have your good in mind. I'm only trying to protect you from hardship here. But a lot of times when we get uh, determined to go one direction, even if it's the wrong direction, we start closing off the voices that disagree. And that's what the Apostle Paul was dealing with within this passage. Well, the first reason he gives for 
staying married is because of the impact you can have on that home. It says that you can be a channel of God's grace to him or her. You bring holiness to a home that would otherwise be unholy. We find examples of that back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, it's talking about Jacob. That Laban says to Jacob, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So it's not a good way that he went about learning this lesson. But he says, you know what? I notice that everything that you put your hand to, God blesses. And you've been working on my stuff, so God has been blessing my home. And so God has blessed me because of you. Well, that's exactly what he's telling these married people that are married to an unbeliever. You are the channel of God's grace into that home. Be that channel. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 5, we find Joseph. And Joseph finds himself in the, in the house of Potiphar. And he's there as a servant. He's there as a slave. And it says, From the time that he made him overseer over his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And Potiphar recognized that. Joseph was the conduit of grace. The way that God brought his grace into the house of Potiphar was through Joseph. And he's telling them, look, you be that conduit. You be that method of grace within that home. Your home. And then secondly, how do you know you're not going to bring that person to Christ? It might be years, but it might be your faithfulness as a husband, as a wife, your actions. It's kind of interesting, but it's exactly what we discourage in dating, right? Because <laughs> we tell young people, look, don't do dating evangelism, right? Don't, don't just start dating somebody thinking, well, maybe I'll bring them to Christ. Not a good formula for family unity. But... If you are already married to that person and you come to Christ, or if you, even if you made a poor decision earlier and married somebody that you shouldn't have, you hang in there. You stick with it. You might bring that person to Christ. I think of Lee Strobel. He comes to mind. I, myself, I should come to mind. When, I, when Lisa and I got married, I wasn't a believer. thought I was, but didn't really understand what one was. And eventually I came to Christ, and I'm very thankful for the grace of God in my life. Lee Strobel. His wife became a Christian and he was an unbeliever and he did not like the changes in his wife. He didn't like what she started doing with some of their money because she gave some of it away to charitable things. Uh, he didn't like what it meant to different changes socially in their lives. He was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, I think it was. He decided to put that to good use and he was going to go out and prove that Christianity was wrong, that Jesus never rose again from the dead, that it was just a fairy tale so that his wife would get back to normal. And, and he could have his life back the way that he wanted it. He flew all over the country and the world interviewing experts to try to put Christianity under and realize Christianity is the most verifiable historical fact on the face of the earth. And so he put his faith in Christ. And then he wrote a case for Christ and a case for faith and a case for creation. And he's, he's been in the ministry for a long time now. And so we see a great thing. Now, Why? What if that wife would have said, you know what, you're not a believer. I'm a, I'm a believer now. I'm going a different direction, so we're going to part ways. He says, why would you do that? You don't know if you're going to save that person. But then at the same time, we do find one, ex one more exception to the divorce and remarriage thing. Because he does tell them, if they are willing, then you hang in there. You be that example. You be that witness. You be that, that conduit of grace within the home. But he says, not every unbelieving spouse is going to be willing to let you hang in there. And so if they're going to leave... Let them go. Let them go. You're not in bondage in that situation. God is setting you free from that relationship. And so as we look at it in very practical questions, 
within the marriage relationship. Intimacy within within the marriage relationship needs to be something that is consistent, something that's 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 fulfilling, something that's exclusive between just the two of you. You know the the reasons there are possible reasons that come along for abstinence for a time and they need to be things that are based on spirituality they need to be brief and and agreed upon and then come back together so as not to invite satan into your home through an avenue of temptation and if you find yourself a believer married to an unbeliever well then what do i do you hang in there you hang in there and you be that conduit of grace until that door is closed who knows, maybe you'll bring that person to Christ. So if they're willing, then that's, then that's our role. If they're not willing, then there's really not a lot you can do about it. Then it's maybe time to be free.